welcome to the New Mama podcast. I'm Lauren, a new mama to little Logan, and I'm here to share women's stories of pregnancy, birth, and motherhood. Spoiler alert, it's not going to be all sunshine and rainbows. We're talking about the ups and downs of motherhood through raw, vulnerable, no BS conversations, because in reality, you can't have a rainbow without a little rain. This podcast is here to be your friend, the friend I'd wish I'd had in my darkest times to remind me that I was not alone. And it's okay to not be okay. We're in this together and mama, you got this. Hi everyone and welcome to today's episode of the new mama podcast. Today I'm joined by Tamara Bailey. Tam is an executive assistant as well as mama to little almost eight month old jock. Tam lives in Sydney with her partner Blair, is one of the OGs in my mother's group and snorts when she laughs too hard. Welcome, Tam. (laughs) What an intro. Thanks for for letting everyone know. (laughs) Now, I'm feeling the pressure today, guys, because we're interviewing royalty. Tam traced back her ancestry and she's actually an ancestor of Anne Boleyn. So there you go. Fascinating stuff, isn't it? Wasn't she beheaded? she was actually so yeah yeah what was it it's divorced beheaded died divorced beheaded survived so what number was she I don't know but you sound like you know a lot more of the history than I do (laughs) well she was one of the most powerful women in the 16th century so that does explain a lot about you Tam Oh, well, yeah, just bring it home for my for my girl Anne. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're not here to talk about your ancestry, sadly. Although I would like to delve deep into um the history, but let's get started with chatting about your pregnancy, birth, and life as a new mum. So, firstly, from the beginning, how was your pregnancy with Jock? Um, it was pretty good. Um, in terms of general health like I I had no issues the whole way along with the exception of just I was quite sick pretty much for the first 20 weeks like I I I really couldn't do a lot I was pretty bed bound I wasn't diagnosed with you know anything worse than you know normal pregnancy sickness but um I do think it was probably on the more severe end of things I'm glad you said pregnancy sickness and not morning sickness because that's my biggest <laughs> bugbear when everyone's like oh morning sickness is just sounds terrible I'm like no it's morning afternoon nighttime evening sickness exactly 24 7 <laughs> yeah um yeah it's no fun is it yeah so that was a bit rough because I really couldn't do a lot I guess it was the one blessing of being in lockdown and working from home was that I was able to sort of rest a lot more than what I would have otherwise and Mm. definitely got away with you know keeping things under wraps for that early period and you were on medication for that weren't you I was so I think you know you took something three times a day it was for the nausea so I I wasn't so bad on the side of you know like vomiting and that I I did a bit but not as much as um what some people go through um like I think what you did but the the nausea Mm. for me was just like horrific you know to the point where walking into the next room would set me off gagging and um I couldn't open the fridge so um, (laughs) my poor partner Blair he did all of the cooking anything food related pretty much for nine months um (laughs) and actually I have to say he still does a lot of these days he's very good (laughs) I know I was gonna say it it doesn't Blair do the cooking anyway (laughs) yeah okay I do jobs cooking so that's what's important (laughs) (laughs) what were the main trigger foods for you 
Oh, it was everything. <laughs> I I couldn't stand the smell of anything. Like <laughs> most of the foods that I would normally eat, I sort of stayed away from. And I, I pretty much ate bread or Vegemite toast and um and vegetables. And that was kind of what I lived on, which isn't too bad, I suppose. At least you got the vegetables in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Had to feed that baby. <laughs> I remember I couldn't stand the smell of eggs and Matt used to, I feel really bad, Matt used to love an omelette every Saturday and Sunday. So at the weekend <gasps> when he was home, he'd make an omelette. And I used to say to him, oh. I'm sorry, you can't do that anymore. And even now, <laughs> even after Logan's here, he's he's gone off omelets just because of how much it affected me. But it's like not doing it. Yeah. So your point around the sickness, I actually feel like the nausea is worse. And I was having this conversation with someone recently because at least when you're sick, it's there's a bit of relief. I feel like the nausea is so relentless and it's so debilitating. Yeah. And I feel like that's the worst part. Didn't you find that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Like it had such an impact on my day-to-day life. Like I, like I said, walking into the next room started to terrify me, let alone leaving the house or picking up some groceries, for example. Um, I, I didn't do any of that for, you know, most of my, for most of my pregnancy. It's like hits you like a ton of bricks and, um, I, I w- it's something that I wouldn't wish yeah. upon anyone and sad to say like it, it put a bit of a downer on things you know at the time like it's it's really hard to keep motivated and positive yeah. about things when you're feeling that horrific it's um a bit of a shock to the system and not very pleasant <laughs> yeah it 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 particularly had an effect on my mental health I mentioned to you before that I was seeing a psychologist mm-hmm. how how was your mental health through it yeah the same thing it was it's impacted me quite a bit you have this wonderful gift that you've you've fallen pregnant and you you know you can have a baby but at the same time you're sitting there thinking can I continue to do this every single day for nine months you know when you're really that sick you don't know when the end is in sight so you know in the beginning I was like oh a lot of people say 12 weeks it ends and then I'm going okay a few more weeks few more weeks and it just didn't stop and it kind of relentless and it actually gave me pause a lot to think about people who who have um, chronic illnesses and how they deal with those things every day Um, and it, it really does take a big mental toll yeah. Mm, it, yeah, it definitely makes you really kind of respect others whose resilience must be through the roof with dealing with something like that oh. on a day-to-day basis. Um, as you said, Alicia, you knew the end was in sight, right? After the, although, you know, everyone says, oh, 12 weeks, you'll be fine. And then you hit 12 weeks and you're like, still here. <laughs> Why me? So at least you're starting to subside at that 20, was it 20 weeks, did you say? Yeah, around 20 weeks, I was able to feel like I could leave the house with Without worrying too much, always had my little survival kit of water bottle, sick bag, Aww. nausea tablets, <laughs> and a snack. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it it did get better. Oh, yeah. Did you did you have anything ginger related? Because everyone used to say to me, "Oh, have you tried ginger?" <gasps> I'm like, if one more person asks me if I've tried ginger, honestly, I uh, yeah, I, I totally get it. I hated that. I did try something ginger once and it made me feel worse yeah I was like 100% maybe it does work for some people or for quite more mild um sickness the medication I was taking for the first you know while a couple of months like it didn't barely even did anything for me it was so yeah so it's pretty bad bloody ginger um so obviously you got through the nine months how was Jock's birth 
Um, again, like it was pretty straightforward. I sort of had like the, you know, early labor for about 20 hours. It started at 4am in the morning that day. Like we still went out for lunch. Like we went down to the beach for a walk and mind you, I was very slow, um, <laughs> as the contractions were coming. Cause I was pretty much, they were 10 minutes apart all day. And then it got to early morning, about two or three, and things started to to ramp up. And we headed up to the hospital about 4 a.m. And when we got there, I was only three centimeters dilated. So they said, oh, you might, we might send you home. Like, you know, it's probably going to be a while. But then things progressed really quickly and he was born just after 8 a.m. So um, it, was, it was pretty quick in the end. Oh, my gosh. So four <laughs> hours from being admitted checking that you're three centimeters and then four hours later he arrived yeah yeah wow. <laughs> so it was nice and quick so I think I I think I had a, a pretty decent go I felt like I got out of it pretty easy there wasn't you no know, days and or you know long days of of hard labor so um it was, it was pretty good and how long were you pushing for um, it was about 35 minutes. I think I did like eight pushes, but you know, as you know, it feels like an eternity <laughs> when you're doing it and like, is this thing ever going to come out? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that wasn't too bad. And excitingly, Jock was um, born on call, which means he was still enclosed in the embryonic sac, which is pretty amazing. I very sadly didn't get to see it. It all happened very quickly and we didn't, you know, we weren't ready to, <laughs> to take photos or anything, um, which, is, which is a real shame. But that occurs in about one in 80,000 births. So it's, it's kind of rare. Yeah. And I think, I, I think there's something like three to 400,000 births in Australia each year. So it's something like four or five births in our country each year that are born on call. So it's, that is amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's really special. So yeah, my little man. <laughs> the midwives must have been so excited to, to see that because I imagine that'll be a once in a lifetime kind of opportunity for them. Yeah, I've heard that. And yeah, and she thought it was pretty special. We just had one girl in there and um and who was wonderful. But unfortunately, once they are fully birthed, they have to pull the sack off pretty quickly. Um, so I think like as soon as their their body comes out, their lungs start mm. to try and work. So they've got to rip the <laughs> so apparently like he sort of just came out and Blair said she just like ripped the sack open and over his head and and he was out. So yeah, pretty amazing. Oh, it's such a sh- <laughs> such a shame that you didn't get a photo I imagine I I mean I had no idea I didn't it wasn't even like a consideration yeah I think I think she might have thought I think sometimes like it breaks on the way out yeah um, and it didn't so anyway it was pretty cool still cool to know it happened (laughs) yeah for sure God, related yeah. to Anne Boleyn and uh, on call birth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're in, um, you're in good company here. <laughs> um, so Jock arrived safely in his sack still in the world. And how have things been since Jock's been Earthside? Well, aside from him, like, you know, he was born fine. Everything has been great. Um, I did have a little complication at birth, which I, sorry, I forgot to mention that I had a retained placenta, which means that after Jock was born and, you know, obviously you need to give birth to the placenta as well. A retained placenta is essentially one that hasn't come down and, and been birthed after about 30 minutes. Um, so did you get the injection in your hip? Yeah, I did. I did. And it still didn't. It still didn't. No, no. So the midwife 
had a, had a good go at it. We like put a catheter in because apparently a catheter, sorry, um, you know, if your blood is full, that can impact it. So did all that, had no luck. And after about half an hour or so, um, they called a doctor in and, you know, he tried for another maybe 20 minutes and another catheter. And it was a bit of, it started to get a bit like uncomfortable then because there's a lot of luck going on down there and you've luckily I had you know jock on my chest which is a good distraction um yeah yeah but then you know they let me know that um it actually had to be manually removed so I had to go into theater for that which at the time like I felt pretty emotional about it because that meant I had to leave the baby but he um but he just stayed with dad which was nice so I went into theater and I think normally they would do like a spinal but I I wasn't I really didn't want to be awake for it so I I went under a general because what they do essentially is they put their hand up in there and and pull the placenta down and out so yeah um so nothing too serious but I mean it it can be a serious thing if the placenta doesn't come down or if any gets left behind you're at risk of blood loss or hemorrhaging or infection so had to be done gosh yeah yeah and is 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 that common I've never heard that happen with anyone no it's not very common like I, I had a quick look this morning to, to check it's about three percent of vaginal deliveries so yeah so I'm, I'm not actually really sure why that happened for me because I don't seem to fit into any of the risk factors except for age um so that's that's possibly it but yeah so so it was all fine like I did have a complication a week later where I had some heavy bleeding and that can be a concern just because if there's placenta left behind like it can cause an infection so I just went on a course of antibiotics and and all was well and everything's been fine since so that was kind of a bit of a an interesting start um basically I felt like after going into the general I, I think I was a bit foggy after that I, I definitely was and in in a weird sense and which you'll go into a bit more I, I kind of felt like that fog never lifted for, for a while yeah um unfortunately yeah so what, what makes you what makes you say that um well, for starters, um, the the general anesthetic I had for the placenta removal knocked me back quite a bit, and my milk didn't come in till day seven. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that's probably like to do with being under the general. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure, um, but yeah. So you know, it took a week to come in, and my breastfeeding journey was off. You know, off to a bit of a rocky start from the very beginning. And actually, I don't know about your experience um, with it, but just on milk coming in and like the engorgement and everything like that really freaked me out. Um, Like I didn't know what that was going to be like. And you'd think, you know, sort of after nine months of your body changing and that sort of thing, you'd be used to these things, but like that genuinely terrified me. What, because your boobs are so big? Yeah, and they're just so rock hard and (laughs) sore and I don't know, maybe I'm a bit weird, but I was just, I don't, one thing I I guess I wasn't really prepared. Yeah, it was, it was really painful. Yeah, crazy. Anyway, essentially, like I had a a lot of trouble establishing feeding. Um, Jock had like a partial tongue tie and a high palate. So feeding could take up to an hour and a half each time. And yeah, and um, also, up, you know, till he was about four months, I was also experiencing vasospasms, which is restriction of um, blood flow to the nipples. I think it was like the way he was um, latching was causing it. And basically it's like sharp 
stabbing pain in your breast and nipple. And for me, like it can just sort of be just after feeding, but for me it was all day long. So yeah, I found that really hard and got me pretty down as it made me question uh, if I should continue breastfeeding. Mm. And yeah, that that like brought up a lot of emotions. Um, So with the spasms, you say you're breastfeeding for an hour and a half at a time when he was so young. mm. And how many times were you feeding a day at this point? Like seven or eight? Uh, I think it was around eight. Yeah. I never, you know, we never sort of did anything more than 10. So it was about eight normally. Well, that's a lot. It's a lot of hours spending feeding. (laughs) Yeah. And even your time feeding and then to deal with the sharp shooting pain, which I didn't actually realize was a thing. I thought you were going to say that you had mastitis, which you did, didn't you? Oh, I did. I did have that too. That was in about six weeks. But I caught it early, which is good with antibiotics. But again, just more unexpected things that I had no idea were a thing. Um, Yeah, and as I said, like that, you know, I was really Mm. questioning whether I should continue feeding him like that or not. Because of that, you know, sort of perceived pressure to breastfeed can be quite intense. So that was a bit of a battle. Yeah, but I guess, you know, in terms of this, you know, the, the fog lifting thing, like, Essentially, the way I felt was like there was a a major lag in what was happening and how I was feeling. Kind of like, say, you're like watching a video where the the picture and the sound are out of sync. Um, And I, like, I was the lag and I, I couldn't keep up with what was happening around me. And it was just, it's a scary headspace to be in um, when you've got this, you know, new major responsibility of keeping a baby alive. So, like, yeah, I guess, like, I've just, I never really felt so out of my depth and yeah needless to say I was experiencing you know I I didn't realize it right away um it took me a few months Mm. um to sort of get my bearings and and figure out that I was um experiencing postnatal depression and anxiety yeah Mm. and you'd obviously heard about it before I feel like certainly when I was pregnant it was something that I was quite conscious of because I've had bouts of anxiety and depression in the past and because of that and because of my headspace when I was pregnant being so sick and my ill mental health I was so concerned about that when he was here so it's great that you recognize that and and you were able to ask for help but how have you found the rest of your journey of of being a new mum? It's been a whirlwind of emotions. I feel like it's been a pretty transformative experience, giving birth and having a child. And something I've said a few times about it is that like never has a greater line been drawn in the sand in my life um, in terms of like a before and after. I guess (laughs) you can prepare, you know, you can try to prepare as much as you can, but being in it and doing it Mm. and living and breathing it just sort of is another thing altogether. And I think for me, I've had some underlying mental health conditions for for a long time in adulthood, mainly based around anxiety. And I think I just probably wasn't prepared enough for how that would impact me in the in the early stages of having a baby. I thought I had planned enough and sort of knew my little like warning signs or triggers might be for, you know, if I start to, I thought that I would know what to do as if I started to feel, you know, my anxiety getting bad or, um, you know, that I would pick up on it easily. And I've been doing this for a long time. I've, you know, always done therapy and, and still was doing it, continued doing that over the past eight months. But, you know, I was just in, in, in such a fog with 
just tiredness and everything going on and you know this whole change to my world that you know I don't think my plan um, was really good enough in terms of there were things that I know that um, you know save my things my self-care starts to drop off I know that that's a warning sign for me that I'm that I'm probably not doing too well I feel like I I probably should have communicated that better to Blair or to my mom or you know the people in my close support network so that they could see those things and spot them or, or sit me down and say hang on we don't think you're doing okay you know but the, and there were things that you know I've realized now that I, I didn't know that I did which was not asking for help and always saying I'm okay and basically just trying to do everything on my own which I didn't know for was something that I would do I thought I thought I would ask for help more why do you think that was that you didn't ask for help more I think that there's this and I think this is not exclusive to me at all I think it's something that probably every new mom or mom that's got a few kids gets stuck in of thinking that you should be able to do this and I was just so caught in that trap of you know seeing other people's experiences or the glimpses of it and thinking well they they can do it and they're fine and they're coping like I should be able to do this too in the months after Jock was born like there were times where I sat thinking to myself like I feel lied to (laughs) (laughs) deceived about this whole thing um that's what Instagram does for you (laughs) yeah exactly exactly and I think the other thing is people who have had kids they probably talk to other people with kids about those things but when you haven't been there before I don't think people are are probably more reluctant to say it because it, it sounds ungrateful you never want to be accused of not being grateful for this you know wonderful gift you've been given so I think that I got stuck in that that mindset of like oh I should be able to do it I can manage and really like it's just it's it's not natural you need a support network you need you know you need your little village yeah. around you to um to help you yeah yeah so so what was the turning point for you what made you realize that you needed to seek some additional support um well essentially it was the things that were happening and that I was doing and thinking started to become aware of um you know I just had such intense anxiety about the baby's care about Jock's care every little particular thing that you know that we were doing for him you know I was having intrusive thoughts worrying about dropping him or hurting him or something going wrong like I was I constantly awake at night time thinking that I hadn't put him back in his bassinet and that I'd smothered him some now and like just having waking panicking and sweating these next couple of things are probably particular to me but I like had a really heightened sensitivity to sound and touch and you know I I couldn't stand anyone in my personal space or touching me lots of sounds and things would irritate me like our floorboards creaking (laughs) I would just lose it I was so irritable and I would just get a bit ragey <laughs> and I mean I, I laugh but it, it was not nice yeah and just so many times afterwards going that's not me what is going on and just feeling guilty all the time sort of all those things snowballing and I guess the impact on my relationship you know we've always had a very easy relationship in terms of like we don't really we've not really argued that much and those things were heightened which I think is normal with a new baby anyway Mm. but I started to see the effect that it was having on Blair and speaking to my therapist and also spoke to a psychiatrist they pointed out for me to consider what effect that might be having on Jock 
And I think that was like the real turning point for me. When I fell pregnant, um, I had been on medication, I'd been on antidepressants for anxiety for about eight years. And before I fell pregnant, I was talking about coming off them. I was in a really good Mm -hmm. headspace and didn't really feel like I needed it anymore. Um, Fell pregnant and it was just an easy decision to come off them. When Jock was about six months, things had just, yeah, hit a real low um, and I decided to go back on them. And and that's been a massive game changer for me, um, just starting to feel more like myself again and just it's a, a much happier household <laughs> in many respects. Yeah, and that's it. Not only are you dealing with the hormones, trying to reach an equilibrium again and go back to normal from birthing a baby and breastfeeding and going through a range of emotions, but then you're dealing with your anxiety on top of that and a global pandemic and everything else that's going on like it's really difficult so it's it's great obviously that you saw the support and that you identified that going back on the medication was the the right thing for you to do yeah absolutely and the other thing I just thought of and I again I probably just mentioned it because I, I think people would relate to these especially if you're someone who likes to be in control of of what goes on I think that feeling of loss of control over things is a really difficult um, part of like becoming a new mum because nothing is predictable especially in the early days like every day can be different and I constantly found myself saying okay next feed fresh start yeah or you know next sleep fresh start like and it's really hard to to let go of that as you know now in adulthood we're so you know our lives are pretty predictable and then having this baby Mm. come in and it (laughs) then be totally unpredictable is um, is a really difficult thing to deal with yeah yeah it's like absolutely a real assault on your being <laughs> and it's I'm laughing because it made me think of when you mentioned the intrusive thoughts. I really had no idea how much the hormones and becoming a new parent affected your thoughts. So even your subconscious, Matt and I would mm. tag team on who had the most gnarly dream each morning <laughs> when we'd wake up and we'd say, Oh, how was your dream last night? Or I've always been quite a vivid dreamer anyway, but I used to dream that, as you said, you dropped the baby or you forgot them somewhere. And I remember one night I woke up to the sound of Matt ripping open our Duna cover. And for anyone not Australian, Duna is the covers like your sheet. So Matt's fully having a Hulk moment ripping over the Duna. And I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, I've dropped the baby. He thought he dropped Logan inside the covers and was trying to get him out. Like, that's how vivid the dreams are. Wow. And he's like, he's not even the female. And even as the dad, they still get those kind of thoughts because all of a sudden you have this precious little being that you are in charge of. And yeah, as you say, you can't control them and you can't control your thoughts. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. It's just such a massive responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. And Jock's sleeping wasn't the best. So I guess dealing with sleep deprivation on top of that would have been really difficult. <laughs> yeah, that's an understatement. He, um, yeah, precious thing. He he loves life and, you know, just wants to get into everything. Um, but yeah, we, we had a really bad time with sleeping between three and six months. There were nights when he would wake 10 times, you know, wouldn't even sleep an hour before he was awake again. And you, you spoke to me during that time. Like I was, yeah, it was really, really hard on top of everything that we've just 
discuss like difficult it is the sleep deprivation is one of the most hectic things I've ever experienced and people say there's a there's a reason why they use that as a torture method because it's just it's horrible you you start to lose the plot (laughs) there was many nights when um you know sometimes we'll do a top jock up with formula feeds and so we would do them overnight or even if it was during the day. And there were times when I was doing the scoops into the water and I would lose count of where I was at and I'd have to start a fresh bottle because I was just like, I I do not know what I am doing. (laughs) Yeah. Because it's like seven scoops, isn't it? So we like one, two, three. What am I doing? Where's my mind going? Oh, I've lost count. Oh, no. It's so ridiculous. (laughs) But, you know, it, it, it is all part of it, but it's just that extra thing where you feel like again that that loss of control and and it's hard when you know every baby is so different and other babies will sleep you know just mm. sitting where they are and jock needed a lot of help and still does need a lot of help to get to sleep but things turned around and it's developmental um we got there we've gotten there in the end <laughs> yeah and that's the thing as you said every baby is different and I think that's the great thing we're part of a mother's group and I think there's 17 of us now and I remember initially I was like 17 how the hell am I going to remember 17 (laughs) mum's names and the baby's names and Anyway, it's been great because it means that if you're struggling with something, the likelihood is one of the other 17 have been there or they're going through it at the same time. And it's just nice to know that you're not alone in in dealing with that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, actually, one of the girls in our group was also having this, the same struggles with, with her baby mm, as well. So mm-hmm. I was so lucky. We used to chat a lot and some really like raw conversations about how we were feeling. And like, I couldn't have been more grateful for that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we've recently discussed the fact that lockdown has been a blessing and a curse by way of getting the babies into routine. I know that certainly Logan's naps used to be all over the place because he just used to be that baby that he would just fall asleep anywhere, um, which was great. But we kind of felt like now he's at the seven month mark, we should probably start getting him into a routine. So that's really helped us. How's been in lockdown helped you guys? Yeah, much the same thing in terms of routine and just time dedicated, especially to sleep. So the week that lockdown started, we were actually um, scheduled to be going to a sleep school and that got cancelled. And so we we did it virtually, which was great. So lucky to have had access to that service. So we did it from home, um, which was probably a good thing in the end because this is the place where he's going to sleep. And so it was a familiar environment. It, It really was Mm. kind of good in a way that we didn't have anywhere else to be so we could really focus on what we needed to do because it could take me an hour to get him to sleep just for a 20-minute nap. So so I was really lucky in terms of like having all that time to be able to focus on it. Blair, my partner, has been working from home that whole time. Mm. Um, So having that, you know, extra pair of hands when you need it has been so fantastic, not to mention just the family time we've had. It's been great for their relationship. Yeah, because ordinarily wouldn't he have been in the city from like 7 a.m. till 7 p.m.? Yeah, so he was basically, including travel time, he was gone, yeah, between those hours each day. So often when he was home, Jock was in bed already. So we really didn't get that much time with him. So it's it's been so wonderful and like, you know, Jock, 
adores him um and they get those little moments throughout the day to spend some time together which is which has been great so I'm in a way like yeah lockdown's hard and but I I feel like for me like it's had many silver linings so I I feel lucky in a way yeah yeah and you, you say that Jock adores Blair well no wonder it's like looking in a mirror they are twins <laughs> he is a mini Blair it's like uncanny it's 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 quite funny I love it yeah I love it. yeah I remember you yeah. always used to say that and I've seen photos of them but when I met Blair in person I remember being quite taken aback thinking holy moly <laughs> you do look so similar <laughs> yeah and clearly his genes are strong I think the only the only looking I've gotten was that he got my eye color oh no <laughs> so I've got something <laughs> oh gosh yeah I had the same thing with Logan now luckily he's blonde so he is more like me and it won't look like I've just stolen a baby when we're at the beach in the future. <laughs> um you're definitely getting there yeah bit. yeah um so what's been the best thing for you about becoming a new mum? I think two things one is that I've never felt and practiced uh, more gratitude in my life than what I do now and having him um despite all the struggles and probably like almost because of that there are so many moments in the day that I just I feel so grateful and so many moments where I'm just having these like little heart explosions about Jock and the things he's doing and the way he might like touch my face or look at me or the way he like whacks my head in the morning (laughs) to wake me up. (laughs) All the little things that just brought me back to just to really safe and the thing that I care about most is the the connections I have with other humans and in particular, obviously, this amazing little boy that I get to spend every day with. It's just so fun. Yeah. <laughs> I've told you this story before, but there was um one during the during the bad times, there was this one night and it was 3 a.m. stupid o'clock. And I'd been trying to get dropped back to sleep for over an hour. And I just like burst into tears, just like, and he, you know, he was screaming. And then I just like burst into tears. I was sobbing, like tears streaming down my face. And then like he just kind of stopped and looked up at me and just started laughing. Like he was just <laughs> screaming a moment ago and he was just like giggling at me crying. Um, oh and it just really, really brought me back down to earth for sure. Um, <laughs> what did you do? The funny little thing. Did you just start laughing then or? Yeah, I started, yeah, I started laughing too and then I finished my cry, of course, because, you oh. know. <laughs> really needed to let that out. I was like this is my moment no um so yeah, just funny things like that that happen all the time just make me so grateful yeah and and I think then the other thing that I find myself reflecting on a lot that I'm been one of the best things is I never thought that I had resilience or that I was a resilient person and even from pregnancy and being that sick and just sort of the the trials and tribulations of having a newborn I've realized that I am bloody resilient and it's such an incredible thing like the the lessons you learn about yourself is is a real gift as well the good and the bad Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I can absolutely attest to that. You are so resilient. I remember, you know, meeting up for coffee and things and you'd say, oh, he was up 10, 11 times last night and you looked amazing and you were positive and you're laughing. And I think that's it. It's just having the right attitude and knowing that this is just a moment in time. This is not forever. And as you said, having those moments where you just look at them and they laugh at you and you cry (laughs) and anything like that, I think just really, it, it just melts 
melts your heart and it's the best feeling ever. Yeah, it really is. I know it sounds corny and whatever, but it's just like there's just no, there's not, there's just nothing better than that. Like I said, it's just there's heart explosions all the time because they're they're a little version of you and they're just they're so innocent and special. Like there's just nothing like it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's about five percent you, ninety-five percent Blair. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. I'm, Sorry, I'm yeah. joking. I'm joking. Yeah, no, he just—he's got his looks and probably my temperament. <laughs> well, he's bloody resilient, then. Yeah, yeah, he's—he's he's amazing. Oh well, thank you so much, Tam, for agreeing to be on the podcast. It's been so lovely chatting with you. Obviously, I've heard your story before, but it's just nice to be able to share your struggles with anyone else that might be struggling or is about to have a baby and just being real so thank you so much for that and I will no doubt chat to you later on today (laughs) yeah as always I'll talk to you later (laughs) thanks so much for having me thanks Tam all right see you thanks for listening to the new mama podcast be sure to hit subscribe to hear future episodes or share with a friend Otherwise, if you'd like to share your story, send me a DM via Instagram at newmamapodcast. And remember, it's okay to not be okay. We're in this together and mama, you got this.